How many of you are on some kind of exercise program or diet? Come on. I am. I mean, they told me the worst news that I could ever hear. Stay away from bacon. So I changed doctors. Something's wrong with somebody when they say stay away from bacon. Amen? But I'm on this exercise deal. And you take, you start it out, you have a five-pound potato bag, two of them, and you hold them out for a minute. And when you get used to that, you move up to a 10-pound potato bag, a 15-pound potato bag, 25-pound potato bag, and you're holding it there for a minute. I'm up to the 50-pound potato bag right now. And as soon as I get comfortable with that, I'm going to put a potato in each one of the bags. Okay? And... Uh, We'll see if that just won't uh, strengthen me, okay? <laughs> All right. How many of you got your Bible? Better bring it. Okay? All right. We're going to look at the question of who is Jesus. And I thought for a long time before I title that, uh, I'll be honest with you, titling my messages is just not something I'm I'm good at. Uh, sometimes, you know, I've gone and heard messages. The title was great. The message wasn't so good. Uh, vice versa. But as I've read this, uh, the way Mark is writing it, uh, it's a unique style. Mark began to really uh, run through the history when he began to write the book, down through the temptation and and the calling of the disciples and things. And then when we get to this portion that we're looking at today, he kind of slows down and begins to relate certain events in the life of Jesus. And as you read these events, there are some curious things that are evident and, and we're going to look at, okay? And that one of them is, who is Jesus? Now, automatically, if you were raised in the church and were taken to church or, as I was sometimes, dragged to church, you know who Jesus is. You have a mind concept of Jesus. But the Scripture is full of teachings that it's more to knowing, identifying. You know, I know who our political leaders are, yet I've never met them. Some of them I don't want to meet. But anyhow, that's beside the point. I know they have a certain office. I know who they are. know who they're married to. We're told what they have for dinner and all that good stuff. But we don't really know through the experience. And the book of Genesis, which we're going through on the weekends, is the beginnings. And it's said that Adam knew his wife. Now, that isn't walking into the house and Adam introducing himself. 
Hi, I'm Adam, and your name is... That's not what it's talking about. He's talking about a deep, intimate knowledge of who that person was. And you see, Jesus is to be experienced. And if we just have a head knowledge, our life is never, ever going to be anywhere near what Jesus came to this earth for. You see, Jesus came to the earth to reclaim his Father's creation. And that's you and I. To reclaim us into this daily walking with the Lord, the experience of God. And so, until you know who Jesus is, you don't realize the most critical impact, not only for eternity, but it impacts your life here and now. Our text this morning that I'm using is Mark 1, verse 21 through 28. Let's read that. They went to Capernaum, and that they, as Jesus and his disciples, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. A synagogue came into being during the captivity in Babylon around 583. The temple was destroyed. They had no place to meet. And so these synagogues, or neighborhood units, sprung up for the teaching of the Word of God. And we, we see that when Jesus traveled from town to town, he would go into the synagogue and he would begin to teach. The Apostle Paul followed the same thing until he was kicked out uh, and was no longer able to go. He went to where the people were gathered. So he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Uh, you know, sometimes I knew how the authority my mom had by the tone of her voice and the way she pointed her finger. You know, we just kind of figured it out that she had life and death uh, in my hands. Uh, this authority that Jesus is spoken of to have, it goes beyond this fierceness. This goes beyond Jesus introducing himself. I'm the word of God. These are my words. It goes from a sense that when you hear the, him talk, Jesus had more knowledge than just based on what other rabbis said. And back in that time, the rabbis depended on other rabbis. Uh, they probably went from synagogue to synagogue and do like preachers do sometimes. Whip out a pencil and piece of paper, write down some notes, go back to their church, improve on it, and preach it. That's basically what they did. But, you see, Jesus, when he taught, he taught from an experience, from a knowledge, from a mastery that was evident, that did not come across when the Pharisees were teaching. He taught because he had the authority of the Word of God. And do you realize today that when you speak the Word of God, you have the authority of the Word of God? It's not our authority, but that word which we speak. 
the word. That's why it's so vital to have this biblical worldview. And when questions are asked of us, answer, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says. And that keeps you out of a lot of arguments. It makes some arguments very short, but it's the authority. It's the authority that people are looking for today. Why did you say that? The authority of God's word. Let's go on. Not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Imagine it would, don't you? That happened here in this service today. Next Tuesday, we'd have to put these chairs back in. People want to see the authority. But there's something amazing going on here. As you have read and reread Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I want you to look for something. How? Do people respond to Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? We're going to look at three groups today pretty quickly. We're going to look at the people, the people being the the people of each town, each region that he goes to. We're going to look at the religious leaders, and we're going to look at the demons. And you're going to find out something that's kind of weird, okay? Of all these three groups... The ones that instantly recognized Jesus was the demons. Now you say, well, he tossed them out of heaven. Yeah, that's right. But they identified this God-man in the flesh immediately by his countenance, by who he was. You notice that demons cried out to him, what do you have to do with us? I think the us, when I looked that word up, at that time means the demon kingdom. Jesus, this is the first time this has happened. This is the first time in the history that a demon has been rebuked or interrupted from what they've been doing since creation. So the demon is saying, what What are you doing with us? They know that they're doomed. It was like, are you going to bind us? Are you going to throw us into hell? You know, when I went to Israel, we went over to the gathering area. And you could see the hill and the kind of a little valley where the demons that uh, were in a man named Legion entered the pigs and ran down into the water. It was just a perfect path. What are you doing with us? They did not understand why the Son of God would come from heaven, but they knew who it was. We find the people that he came to. 
What was their response? Well, if you look at Mark 6, chapter 2 and 3. Let's look at that passage. Verse 2 and 3. That's all right. I've got it. Gene has to read my writing. Talks about on the Sabbath day, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him was astonished. They said, where did this man get these things? Was it the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Listen to this statement. Is this not the carpenter's the son, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And because of this, Jesus was not able to do many things in his hometown. The people that he came to followed Jesus as long as he was feeding them. When you read the scriptures, the response to healing... Everybody came. They wanted to be a part of the healing. When Jesus was feeding people, everybody came. They wanted to be a part of the benefit. But yet these same people are the people that that came against Jesus. When you look at the triumphal entrance on that last day... Uh, first day of the week when Jesus went into Jerusalem. He went in and on the end of that week he would be crucified. The people were shouting, Hosea, Hosea, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were putting fronds down. They were putting their coats down. On that same group on Friday night, they were the voices that cried, free Barabbas and crucify Jesus. People then, as they are now, were fickle. What about the scribes and Pharisees? The priests? What about them? They they knew the scriptures. They had Old Testament scripture memorized. They knew everything about the coming of this Messiah. In fact, when you read the story of when the wise men showed up in town... Two years after the birth of Jesus, Herod was shook up. He hadn't heard about this new king. And so he brought the scribes and the high priest. And he said, you guys know anything about this? They said, oh, yeah, we know. And they said to him, where? They told him exactly where Jesus was. And yet their response was a cold-heartedness and not an acknowledgement that he was God. In fact, it's amazing how they walked behind Jesus. Jesus would touch a leper. Always notice when Jesus came in contact with a leper, he put his hands on him. I want to tell you something. If you want to impact somebody's life, the next time you walk into a store and you have somebody that you would identify as a homeless person sitting there, speak to them. Tell them, hello, how are you doing? If they look hot, ask them they want a drink. When you go into a store and you see someone with a name tag, 
call their name. It makes all the difference in the world. Because you see, people who serve us many times, we don't see them. We know there's somebody there that's going through our groceries, our clothes. They're going to tell us how much money there are. But we don't really notice who they are. I mean, one of the things that everybody wants, including you, is to be noticed. You walk in a room and nobody acknowledges you, and I guarantee you, you won't walk back into that room. Jesus acknowledged. But Jesus would heal a leper. The Pharisees would say, show us a sign. Jesus gave sight to the blind man. Pharisees and Sadducees, they said, show us a sign. Two tax collectors, Matthew and Zacchaeus, came to Jesus, got right with God and quit stealing. And the Pharisees said, show us a sign. They were not going to believe anything until it fit in what they wanted the Messiah to look like. Folks, we're no different today. People reject Jesus because he isn't offering what they want. His demands, they say, are too stiff until Jesus fits our criteria, what we want from a Savior, he's rejected. And so that's no different than today. There are many churches that on Sunday will preach a bloodless crucifixion without ever mentioning crucifixion. There are churches that do not proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it fits better to put on a show and have a large uh, group of people enter in and you continue to entertain and tickle their fancy and people will keep coming back. But you see, Jesus Christ came and paid a horrible price to set people free from the power of sin that's wrecking their life. And he came and we are to take him just like we are. Jesus defined his mission. We, we get hung up sometimes on the miracles. They, they were great, great miracles, the things that they did. And, and, I, and, and I don't doubt that very much. But you see, the miracles only, they simply verified the authority that he had. Uh, look at, uh, let's bring up Mark's. Chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. All right. The setting, Jesus is in a house. And, and it's overflowing. And these men, four men, and a guy on a pallet, they cut a hole in the roof and they let Jesus down. Or let this man down in front of Jesus. Now, in verse 5, Jesus said to the man, Son... Your sins are forgiven. We'll pick it up in verse 6. Some of the teachers of the law, Pharisees, Sadducees, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Isn't that a cool statement? Think about that statement a minute. Here are religious leaders, and there, I mean, their robes are in a knot. Who can forgive sins but God? And who was the one that just said your sins are forgiven? It was God. Can you, can you understand? I'm going to read in a minute a, a scripture that I love. He talks about Jesus confounding the wisdom of these wor- this world. These were your religious people. These were your intelligent people. They, you know, when they talked about Peter, James, and John, they talked about ignorant fishermen. These were the elite of society, and they were thinking, who can forgive sins but God? Jesus has a sense of humor, because he could have thought what they said and went, zap, you're gone. Then what would it have been? But he didn't. Anyway, let's go on. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were talking about or thinking about in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? Now get this. To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Don't you get that? I, I love that scene. Jesus, because of the strength of his life. Many of us sitting there thinking, well, that's just Jesus. And so many times when we read scripture, we say, well, that's Jesus. He was perfect. He was a man, fully man, nothing left out. Same thing that you and I were born into the flesh. The power of him was the word of God, which he would go to the synagogues and constantly read and a constant prayer life before God. Jesus simply wanted these people to know from the get-go that it was no easier for him to forgive sins than it was to say to a lame man, get up and go home. Why? Because he came to go on a cross to bear the sins of the world so that we may have the forgiveness of sin because of his authority. Jesus said in two other scriptures, when he asked, people asked, why did he come? He said this in a nutshell, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. Think about the word lost. Lost is a wonderful word to describe a person apart from Jesus Christ. Because no matter how smart we may be, no matter how successful in life that we may be, no matter the amount of toys that we've accumulated in life, when we are apart from Christ, we are actually lost to the essence of what real life 
is. And we're thrown over to chasing things, chasing things that money can buy. We go into debt to buy gifts for people who are not going to like us any more after the gift than they did before. We, we work hard. We take time away from our children and our family in order to gain prestige, in order to buy stuff that we wind up putting in a yard sale. And we walk away from a job with a $10 watch that said, good job. And our lives are empty. In our life, the only thing that can bring meaning and purpose to the life that we live, no matter what work that we do, no matter what our lot in life is, there is an inner, an inner glow, an inner peace, an inner security simply because we know Jesus and he knows us. And so what we go through in life, we literally go through in life. And God takes what Satan throws against us to defeat us and tear us down. And he makes us stronger because of it. We're going to look at the message. First Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 18. This is the gospel message. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's like, no, I don't want that. The message of Christ is like the people on the Titanic that are drowning and they didn't like the lifeboat that went by. Maybe it was the wrong color. Or they didn't like who was in the lifeboat. And when they were thrown a raft, they didn't like that, that little ring. They wanted something different. And so instead of getting in a lifeboat, instead of putting that life ring around, they cho chose to drown because they didn't like what was offered for their salvation. And every person that rejects the, the gospel of Jesus Christ sees the cross as Foolishness. How in the world can our sins be forgiven? How can I have peace with God because of a cross and a man dying on it? There's a flip side. But to us who are being saved, understand that. The Apostle Paul talked about being saved three ways. You're saved at a particular point in time. You are in a process of being saved as we live life and as we are sanctified through the Word of God and the work of the Spirit in our life. And then in eternity, we are saved. So to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross makes a difference. Jesus was publicly humiliated hung on a cross, on a hill, for all to see. And yet, in the evil mind of the conspirator, Pilate had written on that cross, King of the Jews. 
You see, it doesn't matter what man does. God has the last word. Let's go. I want to finish the scripture. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Remember a while ago I told you we're going to talk about wisdom. The scribes, the Pharisees, they knew. They knew it all. They had the scriptures memorized. They had the robes. They had the position. But it was the wisdom of this world. God destroys it. Did you know that in the mind of the educated and uneducated, we're all educated to a degree, okay? Everybody is. My granddaddy, uh, I think he had fourth grade education, but he was an educated man in ways that goes beyond school. So the wisdom that we acquire through life or through study, God confounds it because we don't know Christ through wisdom. Just look at the scripture. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? He has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. Why? He's God. And if there is a message today that the world rejects, because God isn't what they want, doesn't look like, doesn't act like, doesn't allow things. Jesus, just another guy. You read what uh, history says. He was a carpenter. He was a vagabond rebel who disappeared, who said he raised from the dead. They reject whole. Heartedly. And in their mind, they've come up with other religions. They've come up with other beliefs. And they, they try to find something that will fit. But I want to tell you something. Apart from the true gospel of Jesus Christ, when people try to seek something for themselves... You try to move away. You try to find something that's going to bring peace because maybe these things are a little hard. Even though Jesus said through the Spirit of God all things are possible. It's like pouring water in a bucket with a hole in it. You're going to stay at the well. You'll never move away and you'll never have enough water in there to drink. See, God said my ways... And my thoughts are above yours. There was a group of people after the flood. It's amazing. And they said, we're going to go and find God. And everybody spoke the same language. And so they just talked to everybody all over the world. Let's go. We're going to build. And they built a tower. And they were going to go and bring God down. Right in the middle, God confounded the language you ever been around somebody who didn't speak English? <laughs> you just sit there. You just go for the ride and, you know, nod your head if they smile and do like this if they don't. I mean, that's all you can do. God's wisdom is above ours. And he chose the way to redeem, 
to redeem his creation. The blood of the precious Son of God who came to earth, who died, was placed in a grave for three days. On the third day, he rose. And he is alive and on the throne today. Folks, most important question that you're going to answer, who's Jesus? Check in your life today. Who do you think he is? Who is he to you? Is it personal? You know, I find myself talking to myself sometimes. And I just tell my wife, that's okay, I'm talking to Jesus. He's a friend. He's there with you. He's something you can experience in life. Christian friend, let me point something out to you. The scripture says to us, we don't have anything to boast about. We don't have anything to brag about. We've been bought with a price. Our life is not our own. Our life is not our own, yet we are simply serving God because he gave us a life worth living. Who do you say Jesus is? You need to settle that today. I'll be over in the corner. You can walk down to our office. Somebody, if you're online, if you'll just hit that I have decided button, someone will be in touch with you because that's the most important question you'll ever answer. Fathers, we come to you. We thank you that you don't hide from us. Thank you, Lord, that you don't conceal yourself. Your son openly came that we might have life and that we may have it to the abundance. This morning, speak in deep into hearts and lives. Shake people, Lord, as you have shaken this earth to draw us from a way that leads to destruction and walk with us in the way that leads to life. In Jesus' name, amen.